Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. I wanted to talk to you real quick about a new project that I've been working on. It's called the Anti-Work Therapist Collective. Uh, And it's a cool space that I have been working on creating for other therapists who are quite honestly uh, frustrated with the way that the system works and who are looking to disentangle their identity from the work. Um, So this space is created specifically for therapists uh, and it is a place where, um, you know, we're just, we're learning how to to re-embrace our own humanity and re-embrace the things that make us as therapists human. Um, So there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that's happening in this space. Uh, We're going to have live events where we do some workshops and we learn some new skills. Um, The first workshop that's coming up in January of 2022 is a workshop where we're going to talk about dialoguing with the guilt that we feel when we set boundaries in the workplace. Um, So I think it's going to be pretty cool. I would love to have you check it out. Um, There's going to be a lot of other cool stuff in there too. Um, It's a space where there's going to be self-paced courses around anti-work philosophy. Um, And I'm, I'm doing kind of a blend between like learning specific skills um, and specific things that you can use day to day to make your work life a little bit more balanced. Um, But there's also uh, an intuitive side to it where we're going to be exploring the more human side of ourselves um, and learning how to lean into pleasure and joy and um, kind of some of the darker stuff, darker meaning shadow work around us as humans and unlearning a lot of the... um, Quite honestly, the negative messages that we've heard about who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do as helpers in this world. So um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be in there. This is going to be replacing the Patreon page. Quite honestly, the the Patreon didn't have as much of the functionality as I wanted. And this space, which is going to be hosted on Mighty Networks, uh, it really just gives us a better opportunity to be in community with one another and to do um, both collective learning and self-paced learning. So if you're interested, I would encourage you to go to the show notes and uh, click on the link that I have in there to join. You can also find the link to this in my social media on Instagram. Um, It's going to be in that little link in bio thing. Uh, It's called the Anti-Work Therapist Collective. So if that's something that you're interested in, I would definitely love to see you in there. Um, it is a membership space, so um, just so you know, there there's a cost associated to make sure that the space can stay independent um, and that we're able to run it the way that, that we want to run it. So that's that. Um, I do hope to see you in there. If you have questions, you know, send me an email. <clears throat> I'm always happy to talk with folks and always happy to um, kind of explore what this type of space might mean for you. Uh, if you're to, you know, come and participate with us. So yeah, I would love to see you in there and let's get on with the show. Quick disclaimer, because you know, that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy and this is not clinical supervision. 
There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. Welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg and I am your host. This is a podcast about burnout in the mental health community. Um, I have a super special guest here with me today and I'm really excited to be able to talk with her. So I'd like to let her introduce herself. So special guest, who are you, where are you, and how are you doing today? Hi, I'm so excited to be with you guys today. So my name is Kelly Stevens and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and I own a company called The Private Practice Pro. And I help therapists launch cash pay private practices, and they do consulting work for that. And where am I? I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, it seems like a sunny beach place, but today it's raining outside, so I'm making soup later today. Yeah. Um, and then I already forgot the third question. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> oh, how am I? Okay. Yeah. Oh, complicated questions. Probably why I forgot it. I feel like I am doing well. We're recording this on a Monday. So Monday mornings are always a little crazy in my house. Um, and I'm at my home office today, which is great. Um, but I'm feeling good. I feel like I am doing work that I love. And um, I feel like I have a pretty good balance now. Of, I'm also a mom. So I feel like I have a good work life, mom life balance, if there is such a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like today's a pretty good day. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad that things are feeling pretty good today. Um, and with that being said, we can dive right in. So yeah, Kelly, uh, talk with us a little bit about your burnout journey. So where have you been? Oh, this is a big one. So mm-hmm. let me think, where do you start when you talk about burnout? Like, I always feel like I can think about when I reach the point of burnout and then there's where it all started, I guess. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like anytime there's been multiple times in my life where I've reached burnout and I feel like anytime that I get to the point of burnout, it usually started with some pretty good intentions. (laughs) so for me um I obviously I'm a therapist and I love the work that we do and probably like many of us I became a therapist um because I wanted to help people and I had things in my own life that um kind of caused me to want to help people common story for most therapists um and so when I first came into this career I was so excited and so um just pumped and ready to do this work. And I can remember driving home from a class in graduate school with a friend and her, she was one of the first people who told me like, oh, well, people can get burnt out in this field. And it sounds stupid, but at the time I didn't think that was possible. Like I remember thinking I was straight out of college and I remember thinking like, that's, you know, for people who are whatever. That's not me. Like I'm never going to reach burnout. And I love this job. I've been waiting to do this job. I feel so lucky. Um, 
And I just thought that it wasn't going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a common experience of people that are on your show. Yeah. I mean, probably. <laughs> I know for myself, like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was like so excited. Um, and so then fast forward a few years, I've been working in this field for a while. And, you know, I think that for me, I started to feel a little disenchanted. Like, um, I don't know, like if you ever, as a kid, like maybe went to a summer camp and then became a camp counselor or, um, worked and loved going to some restaurant and then became a waitress there or something like Mm -hmm. the curtain was pulled. And I remember once I became a therapist and I started working in this field and I was working a lot in treatment centers in LA, um, and meeting all different types of people, I started to feel like, Ooh, there's some unethical things happening here. There's clients who are being taken advantage of there's therapists who are taking, being taken advantage of. And, and that I think was where the burnout kind of started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was still really excited about doing this work. And I very early in my career took on some marketing for a treatment center that I worked for. And so I had a really wide exposure to a lot of different therapists. So basically my job for this treatment center was to meet with all sorts of different types of therapists and take them out to lunch and teach them about this treatment center and hear about their practices. And it became really clear to me early on that there were like people in the industry doing things kind of for the right reasons to help people and to support them. And then there was like kind of big money coming into LA in the treatment world and funding a lot of really big treatment centers and people who weren't even necessarily therapists coming in. And that's when I started to kind of see the darker underside of mental health funding and that sort of thing. And I would say that's when I started to feel burnt out. So like a lot of my job was to meet with people um, and there was just shady stuff happening. People paying for referrals, um, you know, people billing like 12 drug tests a day and one for one client, you know, things like that. And so I think instead of taking a moment in my own life and saying, you know what, like this is one subset of an industry and I can do my best to change that and to always align myself with ethical people. Instead of doing that, I did like the unhealthy thing and I just got really freaking resentful and angry and like mm. kind of like just like this sucks and blah, blah blah. Um and rather than channeling that, I just kind of sat in that resentment. And I started to feel like, wow, I I came into this career to really help people and I'm seeing a side of it I don't like. Um, And that's when I started to feel burnt out, I guess. Mm -hmm. That was a long way of coming around (laughs) to a short question, but it, I think with burnout, there's so many different things that contribute to it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. your own self-care and a system that you're in and, um, and all of that. And it can kind of like culminate in an experience of just feeling really exhausted, you know? Yeah. And I think that your experience is pretty common. Like your experience is your own, but that sort of like trajectory from going from very excited to somewhat disillusioned to resentful, Mm -hmm. like when I've read about burnout and heard about burnout, like that is the arc, like you start out so excited and you're so aligned with the work. And like you said, at some point that curtain gets pulled back and you're like, Oh, Oh, 
okay, like, so this is how this world works. Um, And yeah, I I think it can be like easy to look back and say, oh, I could have aligned myself with more ethical people, but instead I got resentful. Um, But that's like, it it just feels so common, right? Like for that to be the path, uh, because we don't, most of us don't enter this world knowing what to expect. I mean, we, we, oh, totally. we feel like we can expect something magical and like beautiful, which it is the work with the clients pretty much always is. And all of that extra stuff that comes with it, the admin, the unethical stuff, like it's a lot for oh, one brain to take in. Oh, completely. And I think, you know, oftentimes if I'm sitting on a plane or talking to a family member, they'll say something like, oh, it must be so draining to be a therapist. You know, you're listening to people who are struggling. And, and I always tell people like, but for me, the clinical work isn't the challenging part, mm-hmm. you know, like being with clients and helping clients through some of the most challenging times of their lives and getting to be witness to people being really resilient is actually for me, the part that's like so energizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, the part that I always try to remind myself to focus on. And, and it's funny, even talking about kind of like, as I was listening to you reflect that, like thinking about the industry as a whole and and getting disenchanted, it's, it's funny because I think we don't talk about those things, you know, and we don't talk about burnout. We don't talk about when people are being unethical and and even now I'm like a loyalist, you know, I'm like, oh, I hope that no one listening to this podcast thinks I'm calling them unethical or anything like yeah, that. But, yeah. um, you know, I think that if we don't talk about it and we don't talk about um, what it means to do good clinical work in our field and what it means to be ethical in our field, then we get burnt out and we get resentful, you know? And I think as the years have gone on, I've really learned to find the gems, you know, really Mm -hmm. find the people that I feel like are in it for the right reasons, are really doing good work and are really taking good care of themselves and really doing their own personal work, you know, on a micro level as well, just in their own lives. And, um, and that's hard. And I think that's really similar with any industry, you Mm -hmm. know, that you, you find your people and I always have loved the quote, like you're the, you're like the five people you surround yourself with the the most, you know, and I try to find like my crew and I stick to them and we hold each other accountable to, um, doing things the right way and putting the client's interests first and taking care of ourselves and our lives and our marriages mm-hmm. and our kids and, and then working out from there. You yeah, know? absolutely. So for you, how did you come to realize that you were burnt out? Um, cause a lot of folks that I've talked to and even myself, like there's, there's a lag time, a lot of the time between <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're actually at burnout and when you're like, Oh shit, I should do something about this. So what was that like for you? Um, I'm laughing because I think the lag time was like years. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wish I could say that someone just said it to me and then, um, then everything was okay again because that's not how it worked. So certainly I was working way too much. So just from a numbers game, I was seeing way too many people and I was working way too much. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that um, for me and in my life, you know, I, 
I will like glorify the hustle, you know, I'll glorify working hard. And yeah. I really pride myself on how hard I do work, but, um, what can happen is I can begin to put people in my life who really matter to me second to my work. And I think that that was the first sign that I got that I was really on the road to burnout. And I can remember actually one of my dearest friends who uh, shall remain nameless, but she's a psychiatrist in our field. And one day we were driving to the grocery store and she stopped the car. She was driving and she said, I just want to talk to you for a second. And she started to cry and she was like, Kelly, like, I love you. And I see you struggling and I see you trying to do more and more and more, but not just being at peace with who you are and where you're at in your life. And it's painful for me to watch as your friend. Um, mm. And that was one of the first signs. And like I said, I wish that uh, I took that as the sign to be like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. now I'm going to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't. So, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, my husband had many, many conversations with me about trying to balance my life better and trying to create more space for myself and for my family. Um, and I wish I could say some of those conversations (laughs) that I was receptive Mm -hmm. to, but I think it really took getting to a place of just complete exhaustion and, um, and then also realizing like, for me, um, a lot of it came from like wanting to, to be an amazing employee for people that I was working for to wanting to, and then eventually to wanting to build my own practice and constantly trying to kind of hustle until I reached the point where I was like, the life that I'm building is actually not the life that I want. Yeah. Um, And when those two pictures started to get further and further apart, I started to get really afraid. Um, And this was before I had kids. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this isn't the type of parent I want to be. And this isn't the type of spouse I want to be. And so once I realized those things, I realized like, okay, I'm going to lose a lot of things that are really important to me unless I make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> it did. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for myself too, I, I've only been in the field for a few years. So like I, for me personally, it took a little bit less time to notice, but I feel like my signs were fairly intense. Like Mm -hmm. I think I've described on the show here, crying in bed on a Sunday night, just dreading this, the schedule, not, Mm -hmm. not even the work with clients, but just knowing like, I have to be all the fucking way over here and then all the way over here. And I've got this much time. Like those were times uh, for me that I noticed that I was really, really stressing out. And I had something similar, right? Like my partner, my fiance was also like, Hey, (laughs) what's going on here? Cause you are, you're not doing well. Um, but I, I, again, I think that's like, it's a very common experience for people to have those initial signs, even have people talk to them about it, but still like so many of us, need to not need to, I don't want to say that, but we push ourselves to that point of exhaustion before we're like, this has to stop. So what made it difficult for you to pull back 
in those earlier stages where people were starting to talk to you about what they were noticing? Um, I think that there's always like the surface level environment that I can blame, but then there's my own shit. I don't know if I can say a cuss word on your show. Do whatever the fuck <laughs> uh, you want. <laughs> there's, yeah, yep. <laughs> um, there's my own shit and then there's, you know, the environment. So I certainly was working in a culture that glorified being busy yeah. and that glorified seeing as many pay or clients as you could, um, billing as much as you could and that sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, but I also like to remind myself that there were other people that were working in that same environment that were really good at taking care of themselves. So yeah. I never think it's one way, you know, and I think that it's important to hold ourselves accountable that like, it's always our job to take care of ourselves first. So mm -hmm. for me, um, working in an environment where people really glorified being busy, really fueled, it was like an easy button to self-esteem for me, I guess mm -hmm. I would say. Like I got really positive feedback from working hard and seeing clients. And for me, I also didn't, I've always done marketing along with being a therapist. Um, for the groups I've worked for and, and treatment centers I've worked for. So um, obviously like in that sense, like you get a lot of positive feedback for working hard um, and the negative feedback of like not taking care of yourself and not taking care of your life comes more for me in the form of like my back hurts a lot or mm -hmm. my relationship is struggling or it's not as um, front and center, you know, as the positive feedback of like, wow, you're really killing it. You're doing great. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's number one, but underneath that for me is that like deeper work of having to make sure that I'm not using like work as an easy button to get to self-esteem. Right. Um, and really that was the most important part. And I think right around the time that I was really feeling burnt out, I went back to my own therapy and and was in weekly therapy for a couple of years at that point and really had to look at what it was about me and my own life and my own story that made it such that I really wanted that external validation for who I was. And then I had to like work on being enough in myself, even when I wasn't hustling all the time, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That um, I like the way you phrase that the easy button for self-esteem uh, mm -hmm. coming through that external validation of working hard. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I feel like I've been in environments too, and not just in the therapy world. Like, I think this is mm -hmm. very common um, for that to just, it, it gets you that quick fix of feeling good about yourself when, when you do really press yourself and people say, Oh, nice job. Thanks for staying late. Thanks for working yeah. on the weekend. And that like, we know, we know basic conditioning, like psychological theories, like positive reinforcement for mm -hmm. not super positive things. Um, yeah. So how did you, how did you finally overcome some of those deeper struggles? Um, well, a bunch of different things. So, yeah. you know, what definitely wasn't one thing. And mm. I always say to people, like, <laughs> don't do what I did. Like, don't get to <laughs> total burnout and then fix it. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I got to total burnout and then fix it. Yeah. So at the point where I decided I need to make a change, like my relationship was 
telling me that I needed to make a change. My friends were telling me I needed to make a change. My family, my parents were even like, you're working too much, you know? Um, so everyone in my life was like, you need to change, but then people can tell you, you need to change it. They don't always tell you how. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started a bunch of things. So as I mentioned earlier, I was like, okay, I need to go back to therapy. So I really committed to going to therapy every week for at least a year. And, um, I did that for, well, I still go to therapy. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then that was number one. I went to a week long retreat where I couldn't bring my phone. So (laughs) at the time when I was going through burnout, I had three separate cell phones, Oh my gosh! um, which sounds insane, but, uh, I was transitioning out of a group practice and I had a phone for them. I was opening my own practice and I had a separate cell phone for that. And then I had a personal cell phone. Mm -hmm. So I walked into this, (laughs) this retreat and, um, I handed them all three of my phones and they were like, yeah, you need to be here. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to a week long, um, retreat actually at a place called onsite for a week. Um, it's called living centered at onsite and it was awesome. Um, and I was there seven days, no phone, amazing, really Mm -hmm. amazing experience for me. Um, and then I really had to take an inventory of like friends in my life and, and ask myself, like, is this friendship building me up and bringing me joy and, and helping me become a version of myself I want to be. Um, I had to, another big thing, and I feel like I don't always think about it this way, but like, I, I feel like I had to prioritize my physical health again, you know, and for me, like I hold so much stress and tension in my body and, um, I started getting acupuncture. I started, um, just making sure I was sleeping better and eating better. Um, and then I just, the biggest thing I think is I had to take a look at the picture that I wanted my life to be and take a picture of where my life was and, and try to make the picture match you know? And so for me, I knew I wanted to stop working five days a week. So, um, five clinical days a week at the time when I was the busiest, I was seeing about 35 appointments a week Mm -hmm. and also like, you know, marketing myself and, and doing all sorts Mm -hmm. of other things to open my own practice. And that was too much for me. I mean, it was insane to see that many appointments a week for me. Um, and then, so I had to scale that back. So I, I got clear on the fact I was like, I only want to work three clinical days a week. And Mm -hmm. then I got clear on the fact that I didn't want to work in the evenings anymore, which was scary. You know, it was scary to make that jump. I historically have seen a ton of teenagers at this point. Now I only see other therapists um, Mm -hmm. because they help therapists build private practices. But at that point I was only seeing teenagers who all need to come after school. (laughs) And all of a sudden I was like, I'm not working after five, you know? Um, and I had to take some big leaps in my business to, to really cut back in my schedule. Um, I raised my fee and I stopped taking, um, so I, I redid my sliding scale in my private practice. And I said, I'm going to have four spots at any given time that are, you know, 10, $20 appointments, but I'm not going to slide my fee down 10 or $20, you know, to make it slightly more affordable for people. I'm going to save my sliding scale spots for people who $20 is more than they make per hour, you know, and make sure that I, that was the way I was choosing to give back. I wasn't always good in the early years of being in private practice at having really firm boundaries around my fee. 
And that created a lot of burnout because it meant I needed to see more people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of had to take inventory of like every part of my life. <laughs> I, I often will joke now, you know, a few years later, like there's nothing left standing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's some things like maybe I have the same office. Uh, well, I don't even have the same office. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think like everything had to change in yeah. order to create a system that was more sustainable for myself. But, you know, I also think at the same time, like, um, I have the privilege of being a little further along in my career and mm-hmm. having built a successful practice to be able to make some of those choices. And when I first graduated from grad school, I was in tons of student debt. I was getting paid $16 an hour. I could barely afford my rent, let alone my student loan payment. And so I made a lot of those kind of scarcity choices out of necessity. And so I try not to like judge myself too hard for those things and realize that now um, having built a successful business allows me to make choices that are healthier for me. Um, And I try to kind of like be grateful for that, you know, because I know that's not always an option for people. Um, And so even um, on my Instagram feed and and some of the other things I do, I try to um, make posts and, and create content that says, you know, taking care of ourselves isn't always going on a tropical vacation. And sometimes we don't have the luxury of taking two weeks off or even taking a day off, but, you know, we can cook ourselves a nice dinner. We can turn off our phone for an hour in the evening. You know, we can sit on the couch and watch a movie with our kids, like whatever it is, there's little ways and big ways to do it. I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I feel like when I was burnt out, it felt like I had to change big things all at once to make it go away, um, which is kind of that, like, things feel so unbearable at times when you're that burnt out that sometimes you do have to make those big changes. Um, But my hope is that, like, more and more people will be able to see that there are smaller steps on the way that you can take if making those big changes or taking those big vacations or whatever it is, if that's not accessible to you. Um, oh yeah, totally. I mean, I even love one of my favorite authors always says, just like pour yourself a glass of water, mm-hmm. you know, and I try to remind myself, like, like I don't drink enough water and I'll joke about it with my husband, but like, I think it's true. Like sometimes it's more about the day-to-day small actions that you're doing more than even just about making the huge overhaul life changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And both of those things can be helpful when you're trying to like make transitions or get through burnout. Um, but yeah, I just, I know for myself at the height of things, I had such an urgency because things felt so unbearable. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's really like a lot of different steps and stages to that, that people can take. Um, so uh, how are you, how are you now with where you are in your career? Like what, what does, what does it look like for you now? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's been funny even talking about this because I have had a chance over the last 20 <laughs> minutes or so to, to kind of reflect on what my life is like now. And um, it is so different. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, there's no way to talk about burnout and career without talking about the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, 
So I had a baby in March of 2020. Oh my gosh. Um, so <laughs> I always tell people like, I don't know what you were doing at the end of the March or end of March, 2020, but I was uh, in the hospital. Um, yeah. So in so many ways, it was the very best. I mean, of course it was the very best thing because he's the best thing, but um, it was such a good thing for me because it stopped me in my tracks completely. And so before I had kids, um, both my husband and I had been like, we need to really make sure we're doing our own inner work um, to be the best versions of ourselves we can be. So we had already done a lot of that, but then all of a sudden we were in a situation where, and now granted this was early COVID. So think Mm -hmm. about, um, before, like when we were in the hospital, they were still telling people not to wear masks. Okay. So like they knew nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there were very limited number of reports coming out of China about women who were pregnant. And so at that point, our doctor told us, he was like, no one in and out of your house for four months, other than the two of you and the baby. So all of a sudden I went from being somebody who saw you know, tons of people every week and was in a physical office and all that to being home with um, a baby all day long. And my husband had to go back to work. He's a physician. So he went back to work after two weeks because again, pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was home and I had to figure out a way to make that happen and to continue running a business. And um, I had slowly started to pivot already to working with therapists. And so I already had um, consulting clients who I was helping them navigate the pandemic, navigate their marketing during the pandemic and how to build a successful private practice. Um, But I had always really dreamed of doing that full time and not seeing um, my private practice typical clients anymore. Mm Um, even though I loved working with teenagers, I knew that when I had my own kids, I wanted to be sure that I was like, not always working with kids. Cause it's, um, although I love it, it's like, I'm home with kids and then working with kids. So mm-hmm. I knew, um, that I was wanted to make that switch. And so, um, being home in the pandemic, it really forced me to get creative with my business and, and say, okay, I want to do more online work. I want to do more consulting work. I want to finally help the, or not help to finally build this brand to help therapists and give them the tools that they need in order to open a business that they feel good about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I talk about the most, and I promise this comes back around to me, is that I really think as therapists, we're kind of brought up in this system that um, tells us like, you need to take on all of these student loans and do all of these low paid or unpaid hours. And then when you go out into the world, don't expect to make a ton of money, Mm -hmm. um, because that makes you a bad person. And I had learned through my journey of burnout and becoming a therapist and launching my own practice that that was a whole pot of shit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like that is, we don't tell doctors or coaches or lawyers or, you know, other healthcare workers that that's the way their lives should be. Um, But for some reason, as therapists, we believe that. And so my goal was not only to help therapists no longer believe that, but to give them actionable tools in order to change that. Mm -hmm. And so I created um, an Instagram page and a business and a consulting blog about how to open a private practice and all the little things that go into 
building a business in hopes that therapists feel empowered with the tools so they don't stay stuck in agencies or treatment centers that don't even allow them to pay off their student loans. Mm -hmm. Um, So because I got like super excited about that work, um, it started to feel like I was doing something that felt really aligned with my passions. And then this time around, that excitement, I knew (laughs) coming back full circle, Mm -hmm. um, that excitement can breed burnout for me. And so I've been much clearer about my boundaries and having um, a toddler certainly makes you much clearer because if I have my phone out or something, he wants to watch a trash truck (laughs) show on Netflix. Um, No, so uh, he's not allowed to do that. Long story. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I think it now my balance um, is so much better because my goal is to be with him. And so my goal is to create a life that involves spending the majority of my time with him um, in these early years when I can. Yeah. And so my husband and I always call it time hacking. And like, we are constantly looking at our calendars and figuring out every sort of unique way to spend more time together and spend more time with our son. And so a lot of that means just like cutting stuff out. We say no to a lot of things yeah. that are fun things that we want to do yeah. um, in order to have that time together. So I think we're just so much more careful um, about taking care of ourselves and, and taking care of our family, you know? Yeah. So it's definitely a work in progress. Like there are days when I'm have done too many things or where I'm trying to cram in one last trip to the grocery store or one last client or whatever, but I'm, I'm more aware now of what could happen if I do that on a continuous basis. Yeah. Um, and I try not to, but no one's perfect. So right. I definitely yeah have days with too much coffee and like too many appointments. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's, that's still probably my, not my everyday, but my more often than not, I have too Mm -hmm. much coffee. Oh yeah. That, I mean, that reminds me of like, (laughs) yeah, the other day I was like driving into the office and I'd had my French press and then I picked up, I think either. Okay. So nobody judged me, but I drink energy drinks sometimes. (laughs) I got into the office. It was for like a 10 a.m. session with a couple. And I was like vibrating right before the session. I was like, (laughs) why do I do this myself? (laughs) Oh, I can totally relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. And like, those are the things like, Mm -hmm. like you said, that excitement for you can at times lead to that burnout. Like it's so important that you, all of us personally understand what those sort of like early kindling kind of signs yeah. are for burnout. So, I mean, totally. excitement for me too. Cause like, yeah, this podcast, I'm still super excited about it. And I know that I personally have gotten to yeah. points where I'm like working on it late at night and I'm like, Megan, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like this is to be fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a podcast about burnout and you are burning yourself <laughs> out working on it. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. Like we are so good at just kind of like justifying, well, just that extra Mm -hmm. little bit or that extra client or that trip to the grocery store. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's easy. It, it sneaks in. I think, like I said earlier, it's, it's paved with good intentions, right? Like, 
I don't get there because I'm trying to be terrible. I get there because I'm trying to do something good usually, Mm -hmm. you know, so pretty much always. Yeah. Like you're always trying to like have a good effect either on yourself or the people that you're working with or like the audience there, but yeah, that it kind of, for me, that goes back to the, the positive reinforcement of like, yay, like you keep getting that and getting that. And it's really hard to be like, I like the validation. And I also like sleeping well and spending time with my family. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. So in, in your work now working with Mm -hmm. other therapists, um, what are some of the most common things that you hear about in terms of their burnout? Like, what do they say to you? And then how do you help them through that? Totally. You know, um, I think that just naturally through the work that I do, people come to me often when they're already burnt out. And Mm -hmm. um, part of that is because they're thinking about leaving systems that they're a part of. And so Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of very early career therapists that um, are either leaving a treatment center, leaving an agency or leaving a group practice and getting ready to launch their own. And I find that more often than not, it's because they've reached a point where they either can't sustain their life on the amount of money they're making. They can't sustain their life on their schedule. They are burnt out physically, mentally, emotionally, and they, they want to find a different and better way to do that. Now, I'm not saying that private practice is like, you know, all sunshine and roses, right? You work hard and you have to build a business and and that's not always easy. Um, but I do remind people that when you're in private practice or, or whatever private coaching brand or working for yourself, you do have more control and with, you know, kind of like what's the Spider-Man quote or whatever, like when you have more control, you have more responsibility, meaning like you have to learn to regulate yourself and your schedule. And so Mm -hmm. When I work with therapists, I really try from the very beginning of helping them open their practice to make sure that they have boundaries in place so that they're not getting burnt out. And I try to talk to them about the fact that like, if you start with automating your schedule, if you start with having a clear no-show policy, um, if you start with making sure you're aligning yourself with really ethical people in our field, um, mm-hmm. all of these little things that I wish someone had told me along the way, um, that it's so much more difficult to get to burnout. And yeah. so it comes in little and big ways. You know, it comes with, first of all, a lot of times people make that big switch into private practice and all of a sudden they have more freedom. And then once they're in private practice, it comes with like, getting clear about how they want to schedule their sessions. You know, it's traditional to have a 50 minute session and then a 10 minute break and then a 50 minute session and 10 minute break. Well, for some people, like that's not enough, you know, like, I don't know about you, but um, I posted this post on Instagram that said, if you don't have enough time to go to the bathroom between sessions, you don't have enough time. And it is by far my most liked and shared post. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to three friends before I posted it. And all three of them were like, you can't post that. Like, that's not very professional. And I was like, but this is the truth. Like I've worked yeah. in treatment centers, agencies, and private practices where people do not have enough time to go to the bathroom between their clients and they're holding it. And that is nuts. Like that is so bad for you. And mm-hmm. so many people on that thread commented like, oh my God, this is me. Oh my God, this is me. 
So I try to give people tools to say like, you know what? Some people like going back to back and that's totally fine. But if you're not that person, that's not the way you have to do it. You know? So whether it's the big thing of making the jump to private practice or the little thing of like, when are you going to go to the bathroom in the middle of the day? I think it's all those things. And I try to work with people to make sure that from the very beginning, they set it up in a way that's sustainable for them in the long term. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, I think it can be hard for folks, especially when they start in private practice and I'm maybe speaking for myself here, but probably other people, like you come from systems exactly like you described where you, maybe you don't even have control over your schedule because there's Mm -hmm. a scheduling person. So they get you set up and they do it back Mm -hmm. to back because it's like, oh, well, it's 15 minutes, right? Like there's the 10 minutes, but like built into that is the assumption of you're going to write your notes and you're going to grab a snack and you're going to go to the, like, we don't have time. Right. Most of us don't have time. No, like like, do a note, check your phone, you know, have a snack and go to the bathroom. Like that takes me way more than 10 minutes. And then what happens if the client talks longer? So then you have three minutes. Right. Yeah. And like that, there are so many moving parts and like learning that's a clinical skill that like a lot of people need to learn over time too, is how to skillfully end sessions on time. Cause like, mm-hmm. I've, I haven't been in this for very long. I still struggle with yeah. it. Right. Like it can be really yeah. difficult to have that type of control over the session, especially when there are folks who really have a lot that they want to share. Um, oh. and, and to deny that, like, a human being needs to go to the bathroom is like, I uh, know, I know. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, what's going to happen then you're, you're holding it in your next session and you're like super urgent around it and you're not present with your client because you have to go to the bathroom. So you come from those systems and like, you finally step into building, like building your own schedule. Like I had to stop myself when I was creating my own private practice schedule to say like, you don't have to schedule everything on the hour. Like you can do the 50 minute session. Right. So if it runs over, you'll be okay. And then schedule like oh. 15 minutes after the hour and then like give yourself an extra 15 minutes. And when I was oh, doing yeah, you that, can give yourself way more time. You can. Yeah. And give yourself as much time as you need. And for me, the 15, like I like doing blocks of time, a lunch schedule blocks of time, and then I'm done. And yeah having those systems in place that work for me where I can be like, I can have up to 25 minutes between each session. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a good amount of time for me. Like I can do the things that I need to do. Um, But sort of like deconditioning yourself from the years that you've had in systems where that wasn't an option, it can take some time and it can feel really, really weird to do that at first. Oh, totally. I think often we just fall into what we've already been taught for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like that you really focus a lot on that, like autonomy and Mm -hmm. control over the boundaries that you set in the scheduling. Um, What type of recommendations would you have for folks who are still working within those systems though? Because it's, it's still important for people in those systems to have autonomy. You know, I mean, I think that the best thing you can do is really align with your supervisor, you know, mm-hmm. and, and whether you're licensed or you're not and talk about burnout. And one thing I talk about a lot is when we take care of therapists, we're taking care of clients mm-hmm. because therapists who are burnt out and overwhelmed and overworked or underpaid are not providing the best clinical care for their clients. Mm-hmm. And so 
if you can come at it from that perspective of talking to your supervisor or your boss and explaining like the reasons that I need a lunch break or the reason I need that five extra minutes on, on every hour or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, is because I want to show up and do the best job I possibly can. And, you know, I always will tell people like tech does this really well. Like there's other industries that do this really well, where we realize that performance is, is directly based on our self-care, you know, um, and mental health, interestingly enough, you would expect it to be, um, one of the best places to work for this reason. And it often is the worst right. <laughs> um, that we somehow haven't realized that taking care of your employees and taking care of your therapist actually creates better work and better mm-hmm. clinical outcomes for clients. And so yeah. I think really talking and, and finding someone in the leadership of your organization who has that belief mm-hmm. is really important. And then explaining to them that it doesn't have to cost them a ton of extra money, you know, that doing, um, a once a week pizza lunch for everyone and having a chance just to check in for an hour with everyone on your staff or sending people texts that, you know, one of my old bosses used to do this where she would just send us a text about something that she appreciated that we were doing or Mm -hmm. checking in with each other. Like there are so many things you can do within an organization um, that don't cost money, you know? And I think a lot of times, especially nonprofits worry that like, if we cut this or we do this, it's going to cost us and that's going to take away from the clients. But I like to remind people in leadership that like, you do have to spend some money on your staff to take care of them so that they are better able to take care of your clients because burnt out therapists don't do good work, you know? Um, so it's the little things again, like making sure that like you love your commute in the morning and going to get that cup of coffee that you want to get or taking a few extra minutes, like not running around to everywhere. It's, it is learning to say no when you can. And and obviously there's not always the option to say no, but sometimes there is, you know? Um, and it's also okay. Like I remind people, you know, obviously I, I work in private practice. I teach people how to open a private practice, but private practice isn't the only way. You know, like I have friends and, and colleagues who work in agencies and treatment centers and organizations and love it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that has been that they've learned to carve out boundaries and a niche for them within an organization that really works. And so I know that that's totally possible, you know? Um, And I think it's about advocating for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And at all levels, like regardless of whether you work for a business or you're a business owner, kind of going back to mm-hmm. how taking care of therapists is taking care of clients. Um, mm-hmm. I, I talked about this in a previous episode. I think it was a solo episode that I did. Um, even though I don't like looking at it from a purely business perspective, if, we, if we're going to do that, it's like, if you have a burnt out therapist, they're not always, but it's more likely they're going to provide subpar care because they're not fully yeah. with it. And so even if the client is not actively harmed, they're not really being helped in the way that they need to be. And clients are smart. They know it. They know yeah. when, a, when a therapist is not fully there with them and mm-hmm. the opinions that those clients carry with them out into the community mm-hmm. around you is going to impact your business. Like I can't, tell you the number of opinions that I've heard about 
I won't name places, but like community yeah. mental health agencies where people are like, oh, totally. All the therapists are like always running behind and they always seem so harried. And I'm like, and I'm sure those therapists mm-hmm. are amazing people who want to do great work. Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that all the time to people that like, you know, when we give therapists the resources and time and space that they need, they're not only are their clinical outcomes better, which does create better reputations for those treatment centers. It also just shortens, I find, the length of treatment for clients, you know, which also if, if insurance companies or nonprofits are worried often about the number of sessions, well, a therapist who's really well rested and taken care of is going to generally probably have faster outcomes as well, which yeah. is going to save the treatment centers and insurance companies money. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which again, I agree with you that we, I don't like to talk about it in that way, but um, but that is sometimes how it is. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, and, and there's equity issues here too, with the fact that um, oftentimes the most burnt out therapists um, are asked to work with the highest needs populations. Yeah. And so people who really need services and who really need people who are really well rested and ready to be open arms and care for them aren't getting that because the people who work for them are stressed and it doesn't mean they're not doing their best. You know, I've, I've definitely, um, my first internship was working in an intensive outpatient program at a hospital for clients with severe and persistent mental illness who, um, oftentimes were hospitalized for a year, you know, a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is hard, hard work. And, seeing eight or nine clients in a day isn't realistic when people are struggling in the way Mm -hmm. that they were struggling. And I wasn't able to provide the best clinical work that I would have wanted to, even though I was giving it everything I had, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't my fault and it wasn't the client's fault, but it was the fault of the system around us, you know? Um, So it's a hard, you know, it's hard. And I think on and you know it can it can feel disheartening but I think rather than feeling disheartened it's about saying okay what can I do in my agency or what can I do in my treatment center to make this a little bit better absolutely you know and oftentimes I'll say you need to advocate for yourself and then on a systems level like this is why we vote and this is (laughs) you know there's there's political you know you could get into all sorts of things about this but um yeah but for each individual therapist, it's about advocating for them in the ways that they can. And we can't always do that completely. No. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I'm going to botch this because I haven't been trained in ACT therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, but it, I, I think the tenets of that, somebody's probably mm-hmm. going to call me out, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> you have to like radically accept where things are like you just have to accept what is happening in this moment, whether it's your own burnout or whether it is mm-hmm. the system that you work for isn't working for you. And just like, once you're able to fully accept that and see it for what it is, then you can commit to, to taking action, whether that's mm-hmm. advocating for yourself or advocating for your colleagues or leaving if you have to, starting your own business, going to a different agency, mm-hmm. like we need to be able to see it for what it is so that we can do something about it. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And someone might call us out. I don't know. It's the world of the internet, (laughs) but I agree with you. 
I'm good with it. Call me up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if I got it wrong, then please correct me. Cause I don't want to say maybe that someone will give you a shout out that you got it right. I actually don't know. So Ooh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I agree with everything you're saying for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I I feel like it would be very easy. Uh, it's easy for me and for my mind to kind of spiral down into the negative side of burnout. Cause like Mm -hmm. burnout sucks and it's stupid. And like, I, Mm -hmm. I don't want folks to have to experience it. And the reality is that a lot of people will, and they will Mm -hmm. continue to do so. Um, but that also gives like us an opportunity to keep talking about it and trying, you know, especially with up and coming therapists, but also people who've been in the field for some time, like highlighting the fact that there, there are things that we can do, even if we can't like change the entire agency, um, there are still things that we can do for ourselves. Yeah. A hundred percent. There are so many things. And I have worked as an adjunct instructor and a couple of masters. Uh, oh, whoops. I th- yeah, I think it might have disconnected. That's okay. I'll just cut that up. <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> what do we do? Um, yeah, my phone died. Should I put in the other one? No, you're good. I can hear you fine. Perfect. I okay. figured we were towards the end anyway. Yeah, we are. Um, but you had worked with some adjunct folks, you said? Oh, yeah. So I work as an adjunct professor at two master's programs uh, mm-hmm. locally. I often will talk to my students and I'll say, you know, like, um, I, when professors told me that I needed to take care of myself, I laughed at them and I know you're laughing at me. And I, it's not just about yoga, you know, like I love yoga, don't get me wrong, but like, it's not just about that. It's about constantly being able to cultivate the life that you want and looking at the system you and yourself and being able to say, okay, does this align with what I want for my life or not? And we do have to radically accept sometimes that we are part of systems that we can change only parts of, but we can make little tweaks along the way to our schedules or toward our, to our commutes. That's a big one here in California or, um, toward what we're eating and putting in our bodies, toward what we're consuming in social media. You know, there's so many different things that you can do on a, on a micro level and on a macro level to, to take better care of yourself. And, um, but yeah, I think for up and coming therapists, for seasoned therapists, for all of us, you know, we have to constantly be strict about what we let in to our little worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right, so um, it looks like we're coming up against the end of our time, but I do like to ask the guests that I have on the show um, a final question, which is if you were to leave the audience with something to think about or something to chew on, um, what would you want them to know? Oh, this is, this is hard. <laughs> uh, I didn't know the question. I didn't have time to think about the question before. <laughs> what would I want? <laughs> Um, I think that it's always important to think about why you got into this field in the first place. And I think that, like I've said in a couple of times in this episode, we all start with the right intentions nine times out of 10. Um, and so look at what you wanted in the beginning and 
you know, I think oftentimes when we get a decade in or something, we can start to think like, oh, that was a naive dream. But I actually don't think that that's true. I think that when we go back to the roots of why we started something, oftentimes we find some like really good bits of information about what we want for our lives. And I would say like, don't give up hope on that dream. You know, if you wanted to have a practice, if you wanted to be the director of an amazing agency, if you wanted to be a professor and whatever those are, like do that and find a way of doing that that is ethical, that is taking care of yourself, that is good for your physical body, that's good for your financial life. Find a way to do it because I have found that when we look for systems and people to support us, oftentimes we can make it happen. Mm -hmm. What our intentions are. Was that a a question? Was I supposed to leave you with a question? You um, can leave with whatever is, you want. Yeah. <laughs> whatever Just you want. End it that was. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, no, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, and I would echo that too. Like the the reason that you started is not necessarily naive. Um, there are ways to find ways to find. I don't want to. My brain is stopping working. I don't know what's going on. There's ways to go back to what you believed with the wisdom that you have now, Yeah, you know, yeah. like take all the things you learned and then apply them to the dream that you had originally. Exactly. I like that. And I'll have to take that advice too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so glad I got to talk to you and I'm so yeah. uh, I'm glad I got to talk to all of your listeners and I love therapists and social workers and coaches and all of us. So me too. it's fun. Yeah. And thank you so much for talking today. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of folks who um, found a lot of value in what you had to share. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, You can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.